Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Dear 2020, can we just start over? I'm Dorno Porter and I've been thinking about life in lockdown, mostly from a cupboard. My new book, Life in Pieces, is full of thoughts on everything from bad hair and parenting to things we can control and the things we can't. When everything's falling apart, we'll piece it back together. Life in Pieces is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Hi, I'm Dorno Porter and welcome to So Lucky, my new podcast where each week I go deep with my guest and explore all of the sides to all of their stories, the highs and lows, their hopes and fears, their lucky and their unlucky moments. My guest this week is Matt Haig, the number one best-selling author of Reasons to Stay Alive, which if you hadn't read, you must. And of course, Notes on a Nervous Planet, as well as six highly acclaimed novels for adults and many more books for children. Matt and I talked about how being a mental health ambassador is a ridiculous thing, being grateful for things that you never would have thought you'd be grateful for, the population size of doomsday villages, stay with me, and looking forward to rejection letters. Now, only someone like Matt Hay could say that. I can't say I've ever looked forward to rejection letters. I loved this conversation and I hope you do too. So here is me, Dorno Porter, talking to the wonderful Matt Haig. I've started reading your book, Dawn, oh, and I'm loving it. It's so you, funny. Thank you, darling. Thank you very much. It's so hard to write like that and just be so natural and funny. It's really cool. Oh, I really appreciate that. It was. I absolutely love it. I'm really proud of it, and I'm very excited for it to come out. I Obviously, you're my guest, so I'm going to speak to you about you, unless you want to ask me loads of questions and take the pressure off, and that's absolutely fine. But no, I think ideally I'm going to ask you the questions. Your book, Reasons to Stay Alive, is one of the most beautiful pieces of nonfiction I think I've ever read. Oh, thank um, you. I heard about you talking about kind of why you wrote it and how it was a bit of a side thought and wasn't supposed to be a big thing. And now it's now it's this big thing. Mm. Is there a part of you that thinks, I wish I didn't have to talk about this everywhere I went? Yeah, I'm getting past that a little bit. But for definitely for a while, it wasn't so much that. It wasn't so much that sort of getting bored of talking about it. It was more that I'd been a real like, I'd written like 10 books before yeah. that, Mom. And I'd been the sort of archetypal struggling writer. Well, lucky enough to get published, but, you know, a bit under the radar. And then Reasons Stay Alive was my biggest book, which is great. But because it was that book and because it was about me and it was about the worst time of my life and it was about my parents were in it and real people were in it, my wife was in it, 
And it was quite a transition from no one at all having heard of you really to people starting to hear about you. But every time you're having to literally be like in a therapist's office talking, yes. talking about and, the most... And you just uh, probably is not a particularly outgoing person. Suddenly everybody knows you so intimately and that must feel a little bit... Yeah. Um, why did I do that to I know. <laughs> but I'm weird. I don't know if... I'm, I'm, I'm suppose I am an introvert in some ways. Like I'm bad at eye contact now and I'm bad at certain things. But like when I'm writing, mm-hmm. I... I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know why. I, I I know people read books and they read, you know, if you're writing a tweet or whatever, but somehow I, I get into a zone where I feel like they're not. And um, so I write as if no one is watching, even though you're writing for someone to read it. Uh-huh. So it's a weird paradox. But yeah, in a weird way, I'm quite shameless when I'm writing. Yeah, I can And then I have to that. talk about it. Yeah. But then also, is there something about, like if I could have my perfect argument with my husband, it would be on email. Because I know that I'm going to have said everything I need to say the way that I want to say it. So if you write a very personal book like you did, yeah. is part of the kind of confidence of going out there with it and having all these conversations is that you know that you've said everything you need to say about it and everyone's read read your feelings it's not like you've got stones unturned or you didn't quite get those words in in a conversation yes that's true although with with social media sometimes it's sort of somewhere in between isn't it it's sort of you are writing it but you're not necessarily editing it or thinking Mm -hmm. about what you're putting and especially in these heated political times like on twitter i'll just like fire some random thing off yes and i you know, and but but because you're like inverted commas a professional person, or now I get called like a mental health ambassador. Like ambassador, it's a ridiculous thing. Or um, you know, this thing where you've got to have some sort of responsibility, and you never asked to have that responsibility. Well, that's what I mean. Is there a part of you that yeah. it's feeling like, oh God, I didn't quite mean for this to happen. <laughs> totally. Almost like the oracle. Yeah, but when the paperback came out and it was number one, it was doing really well, and I'd never had a book and like that had sold anywhere near that many copies in a week and stuff. Um, I was having the worst time of my life. Well, not the worst time of my mm-hmm. life, because the worst time of my life was what I was writing about in Reasons Day Life. I was having one of the worst times of my life um, because I was having anxiety uh-huh. and I was in a bit of a dip myself. Suddenly everyone was talking about, uh, you know, this self-help story where I'd got apparently better and people were contacting me as if I was a doctor or a therapist or right. a Right, okay. And um, I was sort of like pacing around my living room in circles, um, hardly even able to walk around the corner to Tesco Metro. Mm -hmm. So I was um, feeling a little bit, A, hypocritical, a bit of a fraud. I'd written this sort of book, which was apparently was helping people. And that I was like, well, why can't can't my own advice help me? So I was having that total crisis for a while. But I've come to terms with all that, absorbed it all. I'm grateful I've written it. If I, if you know, out of every, it's definitely not my best written book. Yeah. I don't think. But out of every book I've written, I would say that would be the one. If there's only one that I'd keep, it would be that one, because you know it's nice to be useful to people. And I think what people people weren't. I think people are helped by it not because I've got all the answers. Yes. They're helped by it because they feel less alone in what is a very 
lonely and alienating experience. Very true, but also something I was discussing with someone this morning as I was talking about you, which I have been talking about you for a few days now because that seems to happen when people consume your work. Um, I, I've not suffered from depression, but I have someone very close to me who does. And reading your book just made me realise how I to be there for her. It's going to change everything in our mm. relationship. The way that I my frustrations with her, the way that I try to fix her, all of these mm. things, the things that I would say is like, come on, you can just, come on, you can just. And you made me fully understand it as an illness. And therefore I would say that it's as important for the people going through it who feel yeah. alone as it is for the people who um, know people who are going through it and what to say. Anyway, I am um, the... the podcast that we are on today this excellent podcasting um this show is about um the concept of luck yes and out of everybody i think you're the person who i'm most interested to hear the answer to this question because of everything that you've been through but i was hoping if you don't mind if i could just read one of your lists from the book okay do you know what can you read it because it's okay. kind of always amazing so yeah. okay i'll read it things that have happened to me that have generated more sympathy than depression having tinnitus, scolding my hand on an oven and having to have my hand in a strange ointment-filled glove for a week, accidentally setting my leg on fire, losing a job, breaking a toe, being in debt, having a river flood our nice new house causing £10,000 worth of damage, bad Amazon reviews, getting the norovirus, having to be circumcised when I was 11, lower back pain, having a blackboard fall on me, irritable bowel syndrome, being a street away from a terrorist attack, eczema, living in Hull in January, relationship breakups, working in a cabbage packing warehouse. To be fair, that was also Hull. Uh -huh. Working in media sales. Okay, that came close. Consuming a poisoned prawn, three-day migraines. Right. Considering that list... And everything else that you've talked about with um, mental health and depression. Do you consider yourself to be a lucky person? Yes, I do. That hasn't always been the case and it might not be the case in the future. But at the moment, I consider myself a lucky person. Why? Um, well, firstly, and not to be too sentimental about it because I'm alive mm -hmm. at an age which I didn't think I'd reach. I know 44 is hardly Yoda, but I felt... At 24, that I wouldn't make it to 25. So I'm lucky that I'm here and living a future I didn't think I would get to. And also a kind of future that even if I thought I'd still be alive, that I wouldn't be having. I feel grateful for things that when I was younger, I didn't feel grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Like what? Well, when I was, I suppose it's normal young man stuff, but when I was in my early 20s, everything had to be like, the loudest volume, the spiciest foods, most extreme novels, most, right. you know, Tarantino, everything. Everything had to be sort of like full blown. And now, you know, things that I'd have once found boring and just being or just looking at the sea in Brighton or just sort of going for a walk with a dog. I like neutrality now. I'm sort of grateful for just living and inhaling and exhaling and all of that stuff. So that was definitely something... I once didn't have, I didn't have that sort of gratitude. I was always sort of more, 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 everything, everything. And um, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my work. I'm grateful for Andrea still being with me. She's obviously, she had been through some stuff with me yes. in the early years. <laughs> and we're still together remarkably. We've got children. 
How old are your children now? Um, 11 and 10, Pearl and Lucas. And um, yeah, it's it's all, it's not all good, obviously, because it's life, but it's all reasons to be grateful for things. And how good are you at spinning a scenario to appreciate the luck of it? So we go back to that list that you just read out, and I'm going to use quite a, what must have been traumatising example, but being a street away from a terrorist attack. Yeah. Are you able to say, I was just lucky to be a street away because since having my second child uh, around five to six months after having him, I developed my first ever anxiety issue and it was really overwhelming and quite frightening and I just was unable to see that, well, for example, I was at a friend's house um, I'm there with uh, my 18-month-old, so he's kind of running around mm. and I think he's playing in the living room and suddenly I realise he's not and I'm like, where the hell is he? And there's no cover on the pool. So I run outside and he's standing about six feet away from the pool and I that mother's instinct yeah. at that moment had made me run outside. Nothing bad happened. Everything's fine. For months afterwards, all I could see in my head was him at the bottom of the pool. Now, I feel that's my first um, experience with my children of experience, actual anxiety, keep you up at night, can't cope. So after everything you've been through, have you got quite good and pragmatic about looking at the positive outcomes of things? Um, I think I've got more resilient. And so... You know, I'm not immune. I'm certainly not immune to anxiety. I have anxiety all the time, often. Um, but I'm not immune to depression. Um, I think the difference is, is now I understand myself mm-hmm. a bit more. I understand the patterns of time. I understand the weather system of my own brain. And also, I think the key thing in my recovery, if there's one thing which made me recover, even though it didn't make me better, because I don't believe in being better or 100% mentally well, just as no one's 100% physically well, unless you're like Thor or something, you know, (laughs) there's always something going on. There's always a a fluctuation. Um, That doesn't mean we're necessarily ill. It just doesn't mean we're like 100%. And so we're never 100%. So that was an important thing for me to actually realise that, um, you know, it's not about being better or ill you know there's shades Uh in between and because what it was important for me because when I was ill I desperately didn't want to be ill when I was suicidally ill I didn't want to be ill so the moment I stopped feeling that bad I thought that's it I'm better Mm -hmm. and then the moment you realize you're not better you get back to sort of like square one again so I, I think that was part of it, just realising it's just this sort of garden that you have to tend to and that it, it's never something you never have to think about uh-huh. again. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think the other thing is the separation between um, feeling really bad at any one point in time and yourself. You know, it's an experience. That's not to belittle it in any way because mm-hmm. depression is very serious and it takes people's lives and it's horrendous to live through full-blown um, severe depression. But at the same time, even if it's totally consuming you, it's not you. You know, there was a you before it. Right. And it it operates inside you. You don't operate inside it. If you weren't here, it wouldn't exist and therefore it's kind of like weather so if you're caught in a hurricane that hurricane can be life-threatening it can be horrendous but you kind of know you're not the hurricane yes 
And you also know the hurricane won't be here forever and it wasn't here forever. And obviously some people are prone to depression throughout their whole lives. Some people have anxiety over their lives. But for me, that separation of um, feeling and being was quite important. Yeah. So in terms of your life beyond that experience in Spain, and not even necessarily referring to your mental health in any way at all, but um, when tell me about an unlucky moment in your life where you think... Yeah, that was just unlucky. Ah, okay. Unlucky, unlucky. Wow, there's loads of boring career stuff. That's all right. I'm into the career stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really, really hard. I can think of moments of luck where I've... Because to be unlucky, it feels like... I don't know if I ever feel like that anymore. I don't... Because... Because, because, because... I feel like... It can lead to sort of like thinking, oh, woe is me. Yes. You know, I've had bad things happen to me, but I don't know if it's bad luck. It's just things. And I don't know if good things happen because of good luck. Well, do you believe in luck as a concept? I suppose, yeah. I mean, I suppose coincidences happen and chance is obvious. But I don't believe you are a lucky person or Mm -hmm. an unlucky person. I believe that's something that's perspective definitely is and also do you think there's something in the in the way that um someone would say to you oh, you seem very lucky because of your career mm. and I, like you said you, like, <laughs> but you know <laughs> no. but to an unpublished yes. writer yeah i know you're you're very lucky however i think that diminishes your hard work and also and also they're not seeing you know successful people are sometimes just the people who failed more and, yes. and risked failing more yeah. and just you know and it's like you know i I don't think I'm abnormal in this, but I had about 40 rejection letters and I just kept on going. The weird thing is about getting over a a breakdown when you're still quite young. You just kind of feel like, I can do anything now. Because I was going to die and I didn't die and I was convinced I would die and I didn't. So getting published is nothing to that. So I'll just go out and and keep going until I get published. And, um, you know, the arrogance of youth and everything. But, but No, but also, not just the arrogance of youth, like hugely coming over a hurdle yeah. like that and coming out the other side is, of course, that gives you a new perspective on is it what's important or um, that just because you didn't like my work doesn't mean yeah. my work doesn't exist. Like it's, yeah. I can still keep going. And I think, I think there was something like, I also kind of put a fence around myself then. Like, not in the sense that I was guarding anything about myself, mm-hmm. but in the sense that I wasn't going to let certain things get to me. And yes. like, I, I didn't care about rejection. I got to a point where I was looking forward to rejection letters. I don't know how I got into that state of mind. <laughs> Talk to but, me about that, because I feel like that's the lesson we all need. How do we look forward to a rejection letter? Because I knew rejection was part of the process. So it was like the process was happening. These were real literary agents in London when I was just in a little flat in Leeds. And I thought, oh, this is because I'm actually doing something and trying to get something. So this is part of the process. When it was an agent saying some constructive advice and they'd actually read it, I thought, oh, this is great. This is my creative writing course and I'm learning. Uh And, um, you know, sometimes it was a rejection, but one of those hopeful kind of rejections. And then that would spur you on as well. And... I used to go downstairs, look forward to it, and I knew before I opened the envelope that it was rejection letters, but I, I don't know. I just thought, well, there's more agents, more rejections, and eventually there might be not. But I don't know. I don't know, really. No, but is, I, it, is I, it the 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Same kind of attitude towards like the bad Amazon reviews and the mean tweets. Because we Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not good to be honest. That's a bit different for me. I'm 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 this weird combination of really opinionated yes. and really sensitive. At the same time, it's just a really bad mix. So with reviews, yeah, you know, I'd love to you know, people say don't <clears> read <throat> reviews. And I don't read all reviews. And I don't know what you're like, but I read everything. Okay, good. <laughs> everything. <laughs> and it's just the worst thing to do. I read everything obsessively. And it's terrible. It's terrible. But also, I mean I I I'm, I think when you when you write or when you put anything out there, you need to know what people are saying about it, the good and the bad. You need to know. Like, if there's one bad review that keeps circulating or one thing that multiple people have said about your work, you need to know about it. And it doesn't mean you have to change it. But it's... Sometimes it's helpful. Yeah, sometimes. But it's also horrible. But it's also I'm trying horrible. to spin that, you see. The last two months have been the, like the worst in my life for negative coverage. I mean, you being a public eye kind of person, you're, you're more used to it. But I had like the Daily Express call this chapter I wrote, which was chosen by Meghan Markle in the Vogue issue that she edited. Daily Express said, this is the worst poem ever written. Oh by anyone. <laughs> and A is not poem. Beep yourself. And C... You know, it's just like, you know, why is it people's jobs? You know, why do people go through um, their journalism degree and come out and just think, right, what, am I going to be nasty about Meghan Markle today? Or oh, what God, was that, that? Oh, that reaction to her vote, <laughs> I couldn't believe it was happening. I mean, you know much more about how um, tabloids and things work, but I start to realize, what a what a weird malicious kind of and it's horrible thing. when you accidentally find yourself caught up in it so you you know you contribute something or get asked to do something yeah. for vogue and then suddenly you're in this horrible like tabloid bitch yeah. fest um so did you get after that did you get quite a lot of grief on twitter from just general people yeah just general people just i mean mainly mainly you know kind of people who just have union jacks as their profile yeah. picture which you kind of learn to just ignore that uh -huh. because, you know, it's that cliche about never taking criticism from people you wouldn't ask for advice. Right. That's, so a, that's a really sound kind of, piece of advice. <laughs> it is good, isn't it? Because you think, why is that? You know, I if I wanted to know something, I would yeah. not go to this person yeah. with 7,000 
racist hashtags in their bio. Uh-huh. So, okay, so why why am I bothered about you know? And then you, you rationalise yourself like, oh, okay, I'm not actually that bothered about that. Then I, I think I think the things that sort of get through, like there's this really nasty um, Times review. This was way before the Meghan Markle stuff about uh, notes on a nervous planet right. when it came out, and it felt it got through because it was personal. It wasn't really reviewing the book; it was reviewing me. What did it say? It was saying, you know, Matt Haig had uh, an anxiety in Ibiza that nearly made him want to jump off a cliff. He had a panic attack in a tapas bar in Seville. So, you know, Haig thinks his problems are universal, but my advice to him would be maybe stay away from Spain. And it was, oh my God. it's just like, you know, you would not say that about any physical condition. So then I, I and there's this like silent rule where you're not meant to ever respond to critics. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. We're more powerful. I think, honestly, when you've got something like Twitter and social media, it's to protect people who were who horrible things are said about. It happened to me once about. Oh, God, it was ages ago, probably about seven years ago. There was a little group on uh, group of journalists on um, Twitter at the time who had been quite just nasty about me. Yeah. And then one of them had just thought, Haha, I know what I'll do. I'll write this really scathing, completely stupid and weird attack on Dawn. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? And then I went on to Twitter and had so much support. You said people wouldn't say that about a physical condition, but I'd made a documentary about um, about breast cancer, and she's because my mum died of it, and it was about me kind of looking at the genetics of it and like learning all about it. And then she said that basically there was some line where the only reason I made it was to admire my own breasts in the mirror. It's getting a fucking mammogram. I was oh honestly so angry because she just diminished this like very painful um, TV show that I'd done. Anyway. I had that moment of thinking, you're supposed to stay quiet. And then I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You couldn't think of anything to write about this week. And so what you did was you picked me and you attacked me and I'm going at you on Twitter. And it's like people say, oh, oh, you must have searched it out or you searched it. It's like, well, yeah, it's like I've got a book coming out. So I'm looking at my own reaction to this very important thing that I did and put out in the world. And you'd be doing the same thing. And this continual sort of game of gotcha. Yeah, yes, that's how it feels. Also, of course, people read their reviews. That's not something new. That's not something, you know, a hundred years ago, writers (laughs) were like, oh, I had a bad review. It's like, we've always read our own reviews. I honestly... To God, don't believe a single person who says they don't. I don't. Maybe like the Beckhams have got to a point where they don't feel they need to. But when when we know we're going to read our reviews. Yeah, exactly. And I I suppose obviously you get to a point where you get so much media about you, you can't read it all. But I I bet you still dip in. I mean, of course, you, you. It's like you care. I mean, that's why I don't get. You know, it's publication has the word public in it, so you're you're putting it out into the public, and you're wanting to know what sort of reaction it has, or you would literally keep it under your bed. So. Yeah, you you care about these things, but I th- I think the actual traditional media is a little bit um, you know l- less important now that we can all have our say yes and respond to it. We so have the right one... to respond, not to be afraid of it. Yeah, not to be afraid of it, and yeah, <clears throat> I, I I you know I always see sort of writers saying the, the only the golden rule is you should never you know it looks so petty and it's like. Now, you, you know what? Why? Why Why is it more legitimate to spend an afternoon being nasty about something and a lazy piece of journalism 
Um, why, why is that a legitimate last word than, yes. than the months or years or life you spent pouring into something? I, and that's exactly right. And I think <sighs> and I think there's such a difference as well. And people should know better now because of books like yours and because of the conversation around mental health. People should know better. You can criticise my book all you like. You can write a review and not like it, but that doesn't need to slide into a few sentences in that Your review. book's five stars, Dawn, anyway. So. <laughs> Thank you. But you know where you start to attack... Yeah. I'm just using me as an example. Attack the author personally because of something you didn't like about them. Like we know better, mm. and I think that's really important to understand. And people who don't know better and are still doing those kind of crass, horrible old, like tabloid, disgusting forms of journalism should yeah. just be called up on it. Yeah, I let's go so. get them. Power to the people. Yeah, and it's that moral high ground hypocrisy, you know, that you know, Piers Morgan's kind of trademark. That mm-hmm. idea, you know, that sort of righteous thing, where while also just being totally. And, totally um, bitching it's excuse and also the big one that gets uh, really pisses me off is when people are like I'm just saying just being honest it's like no you're just tagging just being honest to a horrible comment to try and justify it but you get a lot of that especially on Twitter I think you're really and look I think your hair looks shit like that and you just really should never dress like that again I'm just being honest yeah. I'm like, yeah but who are you you didn't <laughs> need to tell me and I, I discovered I shouldn't have done this but this is this is what ego searching ended up ended up in this sort of like spiral where I discovered this website called Tattle which is just people being bitchy about celebrities and famous people and like the whole threads and there's not literally a positive comment about any of them and um, like I was on there so I thought oh am I a celebrity now well this is interesting and then like just nastiness nastiness oh, and it's like but then then you just the easy way to do it is see what they're saying about other people you think well that other persons are okay and they're being equally vindictive about that it sounds really pathetic but it is kind of envy it's not it's not justified envy uh-huh. they don't actually realize that people are human beings and have exactly the sort of same ups and downs and fluctuations that everyone else does yeah but if you've never it's if you've never um had what they imagined that is then it I suppose it's a way to say, well, my problems are because of a lack of something. Yeah. And do you you think that, because the truth is, um, people do read the comments after the articles and they do read the terrible things. Do you think people would be different if they thought for one minute that that person is going to read it? I Um, guess Twitter is the, uh, I guess Twitter explains it, yes, actually. They would (laughs) just do exactly the same thing. But I think maybe, but I, I think they wouldn't do it like, how way we're sitting yeah. now uh but i feel like there's something that's not quite fully human about the digital world anyway where people forget and i think it's to do with the numbers um like we there's so many people in our lives now if you can include all the people we don't know mm-hmm. but we do know of you know all the celebrities you know you can't I suppose you run out of ability to care for literally every single thing. So occasionally our interactions become a bit dehumanised and Twitter's very good at that. Like there's um, some clever Oxford or Cambridge person who came up with his number of 150 being the amount of people we're meant to meaningfully know in our entire life. That's such an interesting number. Because... That's basically a wedding guest list. It's kind of in the right ballpark, (laughs) isn't it? 150, (laughs) yeah. Because that was like, in hunter-gatherer communities in caveman days, um, there's... 150 people roughly in the sort of sites right. which are discovered in the doomsday book the average size of a village up until you know up until then was 150 right throughout europe up until the like 1900 or something the average size of the average community was 150 people i feel like now you can go on instagram and encounter 150 new people before you're 
even, you know, out of bed. Yeah. Gone to the loo. You can like see 150 people. And, you know, we're probably not programmed for that. So this is kind of like... It's overwhelming. Our, yeah. It's like our hardware malfunctioning by just being nasty to each other on the internet. Or something. But it's so addictive. Why can't we leave? Why can't I, we leave? I honestly, nothing makes me feel more self-loathing in the daily routine than the amount of time I have spent on either Twitter or Instagram. I know. And also the all of that, also how productive I would have been. And but also the um just the oversharing. Sometimes I get into bed and I was like <laughs> Why did I Why? Why did I have to post about my bra strap colour today? Like <laughs> Who gives a shit? Why did I have to share it? It's because I'm bored, I'm on my own, I've got my phone, I have a source of entertainment to create some kind of conversation. I've got nothing to say, so I'm going to take a picture of my side boob, which I did not very long ago. I'm like, posted, done. And then I get into bed that night and like, my side boob. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, it's it's nothing to show off about, those two kids. Yeah, I, yeah, very disappointing yeah, I, side boob. I relate to that. Not so much the side <laughs> boob, but I do relate to the oversharing and the feeling after. And the, and it's sometimes even worse when people are saying, "Oh, yeah, you're so brave for sharing that," and you think, "I wasn't really. Yeah. I was just being stupid. I was just wanting a bit of attention in that yeah, moment." Oh. Exactly. How would you define luck? I think luck is um, it's about perspective. So I think I think like you can have the exact same day and see it as unlucky or lucky um and so i think it's as subjective as anything else really luck which is a bit of a lame answer isn't no it? i think it's the exact answer i think it's so true and as i as i've kind of think about the concept of it when i'm asking these questions um i think you can there can be an opportunity that's presented you to you that can be seen as lucky and then it's absolutely how you follow up that opportunity as to whether it ends up being a positive or a negative thing and none of what happens next is luck yes yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yes, that is very, very, um, yeah, something can be a gift or a curse, depending on how you, and often what what actually initially looks like bad luck is good luck. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm even grateful for being 24 years old, wanting to throw myself off a cliff in a beef. I'm, 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 you know, that was definitely not lucky. And that was not a um, thing I would want to relive. But I'm grateful for it because I, all the good loads of the good things that came after it would not have happened without that bad thing. Right. So, you know, there's no such thing as a life of rainbows and unicorns where everything's happy and perfect all the time. But it's how you deal with the bad stuff that mm-hmm. can give you the inverted commas lucky stuff. Is there anyone that you observe that you consider to be very lucky? Yeah, it's never like famous people. It's just like. Um, my dad, actually, I'm going to say my dad, because he's he has all kinds of things happen. He's had so many near death experiences on holiday. He's epileptic, so he's had like lots of things. Like he he went on holiday to Norway, and he had this sort of seizure in a fjord, and he sort of blacked out. And he he was very lucky because he was in Norway, and everyone in Norway um, knows how to know CPR, knows how to save a life. So even though there weren't many people around the fjord, he had his life saved. But he's not he's not lucky because of those sort of things. He's lucky because, what, however tough things are or whatever it is, his perspective on it is just so mm-hmm. fine. You know, he'll never hit a total low point about anything. And, and I think they're the lucky people who have that sort of inner ability to um 
survive and thrive with whatever they're given. God, your dad having epilepsy, that's frightening. Yeah, and my, and my granddad did. So statistically, I, I possibly do, although you don't have epilepsy unless you've had a seizure. I haven't had a seizure, although I do get really bad migraines. But um, yeah, that's another thing that gives me anxiety. Migraines? Well, oh, you, have, the, uh, the fact, the that, fact you that, that I have migraines and then I, I think, oh, it's a symptom of something. But yeah, I, any any physical symptom I get, I always catastrophize. Right. Whatever, you know, I've been dying of so many things this year. Um, what's my latest? Oh, yeah, because I've been tired. I've been thinking about that most mean I'm dying. But then I realize it's probably because I've been going to bed at 1 a.m. for quite a few nights. Right. So Why going to bed at 1 a.m.? What's going on? children um who at the moment are needing one or both parents to get them to sleep right and they go to sleep at like 11 Mm -hmm. and then for me you've got to have at least two hours of evening and so we've gone down and watched netflix or whatever and um yeah, then it's suddenly one o'clock. Yeah. So that's not good. And uh, you've, I've heard you talking about how important sleep is. But you is. don't do that now, you're LA. No, I, I mean, I don't really. Chris is like a night owl. So I, you know, very often go to bed early and he'll stay up quite happily till midnight or one in the morning. Yeah. I, I just can't. The kids are up at six. Like Valentine yeah. was awake at six o'clock this morning. Okay. And he just he just up in his cot, he just goes, Mommy! From the second he wakes how up. Old? He's two. Right. I oh, mean, okay. it's, it's just... Yeah, you can't... I wasn't so I just, doing it when we were two. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I like to think that I won't be going to bed at 10 for the rest of my life. But um, I just... I think 11 o'clock is the perfect bedtime to, like, live... Yes. Good a, life. A good balanced life without yeah. being trashed for the next day, yes. Normally, we're before midnight, people, but just recently. Yeah. Netflix is affecting people's sleep, I think, and, and TV. Oh, Definitely. Was it you I was listening to saying that somewhere? Was it on Dolly's podcast or Possibly, somewhere? Yes, about how, what's his name, head of Netflix, said semi-jokingly that Netflix's main competitor isn't Amazon, it's sleep. Yes, I oh mean, God. You know, it is, and, and they're very good at it, aren't we, with a little countdown, and then you don't, you're not even watching the credits and you're into the next show, and... Um, yeah. Yeah, you're like just one more. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I've got one more in me. <laughs> um, anyway, on that note, um, speaking of the end of one show, we'll end this show. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks, Dawn. That was, that was lovely. Massive thanks again to Matt for talking to me on the podcast. Matt's brilliant book, Notes on a Nervous Planet, is out in paperback now, as is his latest children's book, The Truth Pixie Goes to School. I've got some fantastic conversations lined up for you on So Lucky, so please do make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your smart speaker of choice to get each one as it drops. I'm just like Beyonce. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on whatever platform you use to listen to this because it really helps other people find the podcast. And if you enjoy the conversation of getting behind the veneer that people put out there to the world, then you might enjoy my new novel also called So Lucky, out now. Thanks again to Matt, to producer Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio, to Fanula, to Liz, to Kim, and all of the team at HarperCollins, and to you for listening. See you next week. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.